Well, I'd like to turn with you in God's Word today to, or this morning, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. Luke, chapter 4. We're going to read verses 14 through to 30. Luke, chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out throughout through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him, and marvelled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly I say to you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath, in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Well, may God bless the reading of his word and our meditation on that passage shortly. Well, I want to turn with you this morning to the passage we've just read together in Luke chapter 4. And we're going to home in on verses 18 and 19, which I'll read again. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Where Jesus, speaking, says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Luke, an interesting character, the writer of this gospel. And we know that Luke was a doctor. Let's begin there. Let's think about Luke just for a moment. He was a doctor. He was a physician. Paul was very fond of Luke. He was described by the apostle from his prison cell in Rome as the beloved physician. That's how we know what Luke's occupation was. And at the same time, or around the same time, Paul noted that he was also a loyal companion, a fellow labourer alongside himself. Luke was the writer of this gospel. He was the writer of the book of Acts. And it's because of his association with Paul that he was able to write as he did the history of Paul's journeys so clearly. And as a close companion of the Lord himself, one of his disciples, he could write his gospel. But when I say he was a doctor, he was a physician, I say so quite deliberately. Because it's no small wonder then that he goes into greater detail in the course of his gospel into the miracles that Jesus wrought. I'm not surprised that he opens his gospel uh, as he comes to the Lord's ministry and work with, by drawing attention to Jesus as the great physician, the great physician. As I say, he picks up detail. Matthew and Mark also record the beginning of Jesus' Nazareth, ministry in Nazareth. All three, Matthew, Mark and Luke, record Jesus' words that the prophet is not, with, is not accepted in his own country. But only Luke picks up on the detail in this incident in Nazareth at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Only Luke picks up the detail of our text this morning. He's going back to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years earlier. And these are some of the words that we can read in his prophecy. The others, yes, they mention Nazareth. They mention some of the things that are said. But only Luke picks up on this. And I want to show you this morning that only the Lord Jesus Christ is qualified to deal with our greatest need. 
Luke is bringing to us in these verses the qualification of the great physician. And that's really where I want to go this morning. The great physician. Something about his qualifications. Something about his patience. And something about what he does for his patients. So let's think about the great physician's unique qualification. It's there for us in verse 18. As I say, Luke is referring directly to the prophet Isaiah and he's picking up on the Lord's own quotation. And he is going to say that these verses are now being fulfilled. When Isaiah wrote the prophecy, it was hundreds of years in the future when this was going to happen. But now Jesus has come And he says to them, today, this scripture that Luke Luke's recorded, but that Isaiah made, is fulfilled. In other words, he's saying, I am the one who is pointed to in these verses. What is his qualification? Well, he identifies himself by the very terms that he uses, to be the Messiah, the Christ, who should come. He is the glorious representative of the triune God, against whom we have all sinned. How do I get that from these verses? How is Jesus saying here that he is the Messiah. Well, let's just take special note of four phrases in the first part of verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. That is Jesus saying, I am the coming Messiah, the one who was promised, the one who was fourfold. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. There's a reference here to the Holy Spirit. Jesus is specifically referring to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jehovah is upon me. The third person of the of the Trinity is present as Jesus speaks. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him as he is speaking and as he is living. It's the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Jehovah. The Spirit of God the Father is here. As Jesus stands before these people in Nazareth, in the synagogue, quoting Isaiah's prophecy, he's pointing at himself and he's saying, the Spirit of the Lord is here. The the Father is upon me. The Spirit is upon me. The Father is with me. 
is upon me. Me. Me who's standing here, Jesus says. With me is the Holy Spirit. With me is God the Father. I am their representative here on the earth. He's saying in effect, the Spirit is here, the Father is here, and I am the Son of God. That's what he's effectively saying. And when he said that, and when he said to the congregation gathered that this is what was happening, God was personally present, they couldn't take it. They rejected it. But that didn't alter the fact of it. And so the one who is speaking these words is the anointed one. He is upon me because he has anointed me. In other words, I am the Christ, he says. I am the Messiah. The one whom the prophets, including Isaiah, was divinely inspired to point to. I am he, Jesus is saying. And more than that, Jesus picks up the prophet's words that he's not only the anointed, the appointed one, but that he is the sent one. The one who has come from heaven. He has sent me. I am the sent one, he says. I have been sent to heal. I have been sent to proclaim. I am the one, he says, who is the bringer of true liberty. I have come to proclaim liberty. To set people free. I am the one who has come to set at liberty. Not to talk about it, but to bring freedom and liberty to mankind. In fact, he goes on to say in verses 25 to 7, as he refers to Elijah and Elisha, he says, I am in the succession of Elijah. I am in the succession of Elisha. Now Elijah was one of the chief prophets. Though both Elijah and Elisha reflected Jesus' own mission. You read the life of Elijah, read the life of Elisha, and you will see gospel, gospel, gospel throughout their lives, especially Elisha. They are pointing to me, says Jesus. They came among you. They came among Jew and Gentile. I have come among you, Jew and Gentile. He declares his qualification as the good physician. The one sent to heal. The one sent 
to bring liberty and freedom all according to the Old Testament scriptures. And the fact that Jesus is so clear makes it such a tragedy that those in the synagogue, the leaders of the synagogue, the religious leaders of Nazareth, and others gathered in the synagogue on that Sabbath day, the worshippers, so violently rejected him, didn't they? When they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. They were angry. They were livid. They took him to the brow of a hill and would have thrown him down headlong and got rid of him. And this is the first recorded sermon, if you like, that Jesus preached as the proclaimer of liberty, the gospel. We can all recognise that. But are we actually any different? Are you and I any different to the people in the synagogue at Nazareth when the Lord Jesus Christ is set before us as the Son of God, the Christ, who comes to heal and deliver. Are we any different? How many in this world today reject the divine nature and the God-given work of the great physician of souls. And they're not all outside of church congregations. My friend, let us just pause and ask ourselves the question, what do I think of the Lord Jesus Christ? His work revolved around two things, Preaching and proclaiming. Bringing spiritual restoration to men and women, boys and girls. He is well qualified to do so. But then again, in these couple of verses, I observe the patience that this physician comes to attend. He comes to minister to those in need. <coughs> there are five little groups of people in these two verses. There are the poor. The poor. To be poor is to be destitute. We hear a lot about poverty today. It's almost one of the buzzwords of our generation, isn't it? Poverty. destitute without resources and all they seem all we seem to see in them all they seem to hear is bad news but Jesus says I have come 
to bring the gospel to the poor. I have come to bring good news to the destitute. I'll enlarge on that in a moment. That's the first group of people. He has come in the next place to heal the broken hearted. The broken hearted. He's come to minister to them. As I was thinking about this, just a little summary, what does it mean, the broken hearted? Can I put it this way? He's come to deal with the need of those whose lives are in ruins. Without any hope, without any joy. And we're surrounded with the poor who need some good news. We're surrounded with broken hearted lives that are ruined. It's hopeless is another phrase that's used so much today. And Jesus has come to bring to the broken hearted healing and hope. Then there are captives to proclaim liberty to the captives. Obviously he has in mind those who are in slavery. And slavery isn't always, doesn't always take us back to the situation in Egypt. Taskmasters and slaves physically. Slavery. Slavery to vice. Slavery to all sorts of things. Those things that dominate and hold us captive so that we can't think of anything else. So that we always act in a certain way. We always speak in a wrong manner. Captives. Jesus says, I have come to give those who are in slavery and bondage to all sorts of things to bring them deliverance and freedom. The blind. The blind grope their way through life, don't they? They haven't got any sort of direction. They don't know where they're going. They stumble, they fall, they hurt themselves. The blind. Groping their way through life in ignorance. And in darkness. And Jesus says, I've come to restore their vision. I have come to bring recovery of sight. To restore their vision. So that they can walk safely now. So that they can see where they're going. So that they're not fumbling and groping all the time. He's speaking, got something to say to the oppressed at the end of verse 18. To set at liberty 
those who are oppressed. We might think of slavery, but there's something different about oppression, isn't there? Oppression is, well, we hear a lot about depression today, don't we? Stress. These other things all out combine together and bring a stress upon us. Evil just seems to get a grip on our mind. I think the captives is thinking more of the physical and the oppression it has something to do with the mind. They need a jubilee. They need a time of freedom. A time of joy. A time of relaxation. Freedom. From that stress and strain that surrounds us today. Oh, how up to date this is. These are the things that Jesus came to deal with. And Isaiah outlines. Jesus picks up on the need of all humanity as the reason for his ministry. The good news for the poor is that the Messiah who came into the world is the one who has the resources freely available to meet their particular needs and supremely their need to be right with God. That's good news. He has the resources. And he gives of his resources. Indeed, as we shall see, he gives himself to supply their need. He comes and he brings hope and joy to the brokenhearted. It's only Christ who can put them right with God. The brokenhearted, in need of hope, oh, it's hopeless. When sin, when our sin rises up before us, and we realise our hopelessness and our helplessness, we have no resources to deal with it. We cannot pay its penalty. It's got us. But Jesus says, listen. You broken hearted ones. I've come. I've got the resources. And I'm going to use those resources. I can put you right with God. Look what Jesus did dur during his life. He kept the holy law that we have broken. What breaks your heart this morning? There may be all sorts of things. The Lord has the resources to restore that brokenness. But the supreme brokenness that we should be feeling is that we need a saviour, isn't it? We have broken God's law. And we have no resources to get right with God. 
My very best is stained and dyed with sin. All that I have is nothing worth. But the Lord Jesus Christ has kept the law that I have broken. And as a sinless man, he bore the punishment that hovers over me all my life long. That he lifts that cloud because he bore the punishment for us in his death. In his life, he kept the law. In his death, he bore the penalty of the law. And in his re resurrection, he brings us justification. Not only has he kept the law and borne its penalty, but God now looks on him and pardons me. There's hope. There's hope in this world. There's hope for sinners. And when that hope is grasped, there is joy. The brokenhearted find healing when they come to the Lord Jesus Christ. His way was much rougher, much darker than mine. And yours. And he is there to assist and to help. And to provide for your every need. And the liberty of the slaves lies in the ransoming, the healing, the restoring work of Jesus Christ. What has he done? He set at liberty the slaves. I once was a stranger to God and to grace. I once was a slave in bondage to sin, a sinful way of life, sinful attitudes, sinful behavior and responses. But he has come to set me free. He has come to set the sinners around us free. Those who are slaves can be set free. Freedom is there for them. Liberty. He has opened the way to God. I was in chains. So were you, Christian brother and sister. You were in bondage. You were in chains. The chains of sin and shame and guilt. That's been dealt with. In the life, the death, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And though we are still oppressed in this world. The day is coming when he will return in all his glory. And we shall be liberated. Finally and totally. He has come to restore the sight of the blind, yes. How do the blind receive their sight? We were blind to God, blind to grace, blind spiritually. 
It comes through the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? And what does the Holy Spirit do? He opens our eyes to see. Has he opened your eyes to see? What do you see? You say, if I open my eyes, all I can see is my poverty and my emptiness. All I can see is my brokenness. All I can see is the bondage that I'm in. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he opens your eyes to see that. But he shows you something else as well, doesn't he? What does he show us? He shows us the Saviour that we need. He shows us what he has accomplished for us. He opens our eyes to ourselves and that causes us to fall before God in confession and repentance. And he opens our eyes, he says, now look this way, look this way. And he holds before us the Lord Jesus Christ. And there we see what we never saw before. There we can find the Saviour and the good news substantiated in him. And then there are those who are oppressed, those who are so stressed out with all that's happening. Listen, it's under control. Doesn't feel like it. Everything's on top of me. I can't get out from underneath this cloud. You look up, my friend. Look up. Look to the one who holds the slave master himself in bondage. Whom I referring to? Satan, the evil one. He holds. The Lord holds him and his minions in chains. That's what Peter says. He has cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. He's brought liberty to us and he's brought final bondage, ultimate bondage to the evil powers, the evil one, his cohorts, those who serve him, they will no longer oppress, they will no longer stress us because we are looking beyond them. Psalm 121, I quoted it earlier in prayer. What a great thing it is. I look up to the hills, yes, but it's those hills that seem to be so threatening. But I look up to the hills and I ask myself, where's my help coming from? Where can I find this good news? Where can I find this hope and joy? Where can I find liberty? Where can I find what I need to see? Where can I find deliverance from this stress? Look, not at the hills, but above the hills. The one who comes skipping along the mountain tops. Look up to Jesus Christ. Look up to the good physician. 
Look up to the one who's speaking these words. And as you look up to him, you will find your freedom and your deliverance. And finally, we read the timing of this physician's visitation. In verses 19 and 21. When is the time this freedom, this hope and so on comes? Today. You've got lovely expressions. Verse 19, the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 21, when is that acceptable year? It is today. Beautiful words. Paul picks up on it as he writes to the church at Corinth. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. My friend, this morning, today, the Lord Jesus Christ stands and he says, Come to me, come to me, look to me. And whatever that is that is oppressing you, whatever that is that is troubling you, I will deal with it. Look unto me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. Yes, when Jesus said this, day had dawned for the gospel at last. It had openly dawned for the Jews that day in Capernaum. But Jesus plainly implied it has dawned not only for the Jews, but for the whole world, for Gentiles too. In verses 24 to 7, he, he speaks about Elijah and Elisha. He speaks about the woman in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. He speaks about Naaman the Syrian. And Jesus says, now look, all that was pointing to this day. Today is the day of hope. Elijah went to Zarephath with a message of hope. He were, Elisha went and dealt with Naaman, a Syrian. What wonderful things these are. It's for us today. It's for you today. And yet those in the synagogue that Sabbath day rejected him. To the extent that they tried to kill him. And the events that follow, that followed this throughout the Gospel of Luke. And the note again, the detail of Luke's record of the healing miracles in particular of the Lord Jesus. All substantiating the fulfilment of this wonderful prophecy. He went on to Capernaum. He went on to Galilee. And wherever Jesus went, the truth of Jesus' words here, that the day of salvation had come, were being fulfilled. Can I close this morning by simply saying to you, how many times have you heard the good news? And I don't know you all 
in detail. I know, know your faces, we were here recently. But I don't know your standing, I don't know where you are with God. How many times have you heard the good news and rejected it? Are we not all described in verse 18 and 19? Bankrupt sinners in need of good news. Lives in ruins and in need of restoration. Captives to sin and victims needing to be set at liberty from our godlessness. Blind to the reality of our desperate situation and need of illumination. Oppressed by Satan and his evil servants in need of being set free. How many times have we heard it? But what has been our reaction as we're faced with the reality of our situation without Jesus Christ? Or friend, have you turned to this Saviour? Are you going home time after time Spurning these wonderful things. Even as every time you come under the hearing of the gospel, this scripture is fulfilled. And yet you turn your back on it again and again and again. Oh my friend, don't turn your back on this saviour. Sadly, many people today are following in the footsteps of the synagogue worshippers, aren't they? They want to destroy the witness to this precious, to this wonderful saviour. Don't be one of them. But humble yourself. Yield to the overtures of this same Jesus. He speaks today. He speaks through his word today. He speaks through the preaching of his word today. And what does he say? Come unto me, all you who labour and are heavy laden. And I will give you something. I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Take my service upon you. And learn from me. I am gentle. I am lowly of heart. And you will find something. You can't just shrug off the yoke of the world. I know that. You can't just shrug off the yoke of your sin. But when you come with all that bondage on your shoulders. To the foot of the cross. To the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say to him, Lord, lift this yoke from me and place your yoke on me. He will do so. He will do so. And you will find that his yoke is not like the yoke that you've been carrying for however many years. So heavy, so cumbersome, so stressful. His yoke is easy. And his burden what you carry for him is light. Will you not go home singing, rejoice and be glad 
The Saviour has come. Rejoice and be glad. It is sunshine at last. Rejoice and be glad. The blood has been shed. Redemption is finished. It's all dealt with. The price has been paid. Rejoice and be glad. The pardon is free. Rejoice and be glad. The Lamb who died on the cross has triumphed over death, the last enemy. And you will triumph through him. And rejoice and be glad if the King is on high and is coming again. And when he comes, the final shreds of all the suppressed will be gone and gone forever. Look unto him and be saved, all you ends of the earth.